the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Greg Karp, uh, who is a personal finance columnist for Tribune Company. He has a column called Spending Smart, and he has a new book called Living Rich by Spending Smart. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks, Jordan. Glad to be here. Let's just talk. Uh, start with the overall kind of state of spending in, in America today. Uh, do you get a sense that most people uh, have a sense of their, their spending priorities and, and track these things, or, or they're pretty much out of control? Well, of course, it varies by individual, but, uh, you know, you don't have to look too hard to find statistics that show the savings rate is very low, that people have a tremendous amount of debt, and they make some poor financial decisions sometimes, as we can see now by the uh, foreclosure crisis. So uh, I think people aren't spending enough time maybe uh, on their finances and, and trying to make better uh, spending decisions especially. And why is that? Is that they haven't been taught this in schools or advertising makes them spend more than they want? Or kind of what are the causes of people overspending these days? I think it's been a convergence of a lot of things, and you mentioned marketing. That is certainly one of them. No generation before has had as much marketing coming at them as we do today, and you know we haven't had to say no to ourselves so often. How many times a day are you offered something to buy compared with previous generations? And we're hardwired to consume immediately. That goes back to our cavemen days. So it's just so much harder nowadays to say no because of the marketing. And there are other factors, too. Um, you know, we just came out of an era of prosperity, so people are used to being kind of loose with their spending. And, when, of course, when economic times turn down, it's difficult to turn the ship around. So do you find particularly people uh, are spending at a certain level of, based on a certain amount of income, and then their income goes away and the spending continues? I mean, I think of, think of the, the investment bankers at Bear Stearns right now, or airline pilots who got laid off, or whoever it may be, GM workers, who had a certain what they thought was relatively assured level of income, and then they get into trouble pretty quickly because their spending can't be changed. That's true, because the earning side of the equation can disappear very quickly, but we have to make sure the spending changes just as quickly. And we see this uh, more often, too, with a parent who decides to stay home with the kids, and all of a sudden the household income is cut by a third or in half, and it just doesn't dawn on people sometimes how much they have to cut back their spending in order to make that work. You've still got to balance the ledger. So is that basically the idea behind your book, uh, which is, again, called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More of What You Really Want? Uh, is that the idea? Is, is things can be done uh, to control spending in ways that most people probably think is not possible? It is. And the big-picture concept here is that you can't out-earn dumb spending that paying attention to spending pays off. So I don't advocate being a cheapskate. It's not some live cheap and die loaded plan. But it's about spending on purpose rather than by accident and habit. So it's about plugging the leaks of wasteful spending and redirecting that money to things you truly care about. You, you talk about how multimillionaire Hollywood celebrities and sports stars and lottery winners end up broke. How is that, if they've got this huge amount of income, how is it that they can end up broke? Well, actually, spending is more difficult than you might think. They, they have, I think they get these new financial boundaries, and they're not used to them, so, so they don't know what the limits are. Sometimes it's almost easier if you have limited financial resources, because then you, you surely know what your 
boundaries are. That's why people uh, who don't have a lot of money, frankly, don't get in a lot of debt because they don't have a lot of credit uh, available to them. Oh, that's changed in the last few years, right? I mean, a lot of people did get credit that in the past might not have, and that's how they got into trouble with subprime loans and credit card debt and all the debt you see out there today. That's exactly right. Their boundaries were moved outwards, and then they get uh, they get in trouble because they're, they're not used to using those parameters. In the first, uh, actually in the introduction, you talk about the truth about getting rich. Apparently people have misperceptions about who's rich, how to get rich. What are some of those misperceptions? Well, I think everybody, uh, again, wants to pay attention to the earning side of the ledger. You know, if only I could win the lottery, if only I could get a big bonus at work. But that's not how it works because it has to come down to your spending. And we've heard it all before. You've you got to spend less than you make. And it doesn't matter how much you earn, you still got to spend less than that. So you have to make your money work for you. And, and I'm sure it's something that, that you've preached over again. You gotta, your money has to make money while you sleep. So that's whether it's investing in mutual funds or investing in your own business, somehow you got to have money make its own money. Because if you don't have leverage for yourself, if you're just trading time for money, you've limited how much you can possibly make. Exactly, and, and, and there, there are so few people who make a ton of money on an hourly basis that you need, uh, you just can't you know, get any amount of wealth going just earning for the time that you're willing to donate, no matter how many hours you're willing to work. You only have so many hours. <laughs> exactly, it's limited. Uh, now you talk about the, the process of learning to spend less and, and living below your means. Before we get into some of the details, what is the general kind of concept behind that and how people can, can start spending less? Well, the first step is to care about spending, to, to understand fun, at a very fundamental level that it matters. That Yes, the paycheck coming in matters too, but what's going out matters equally as much. And that you have a lot more control over the spending side of the equation than you do the earning side. You can you know, get rid of a lot of expenses in your life at the drop of a hat, but how much income can you get this week, for instance? How, how much more income? You can take a second job, but that's a pretty dramatic measure. And, of course, when you're saving money, you get to keep 100 cents of every dollar that you save. But, of course, if you earn money, Uncle Sam wants his, his share of it, and uh, you pay Social Security out of that, and you're lucky to end up with 65, 75 cents after all said and done. Is that a problem for a lot of people? They don't really think about after-tax income. They think about gross income, and that's kind of misleading. I think it is, especially when, when they say things like, well, Spending time to save money, it, it just isn't worth it to me because I make X dollars at work, and, and that's how I measure my time. And, and what I try to get the point across is, is that it is worth your time. Spending carefully is worthwhile. So let's go over some of the brief reasons why cutting spending works. The first one you talk about is magnitude of that. That's right, and you know Ben Franklin said a penny saved is a penny earned, uh, and he was right at the time that he lived, but that was before the era of, era of income taxes. So today a saved penny is worth far more than an earned one because, as we talked about, the, the taxes that get taken out of the earning side of the equation. And then you say speed is important and why spending works as well, cutting spending works? Yeah, because cutting spending is so much faster. You can cancel an expense, uh, a gym membership, and you start making... Uh, saving money immediately, you'll be instantly better off. But how long is it going to take you to change your income? You know, if you're self-employed even, how, what are you going to do to drum up more sales? Uh, are you, do you have overtime hours available to you at work? Are you willing to get a second job? 
those are the kind of the dramatic measures that you have to take uh, to increase your the income side of the equation. A lot of people get get into something and they're buying it, and they say, "Well, if I buy it, you know, I'm, it's on sale, so I'm saving money by buying this thing now, as opposed to waiting for later." And that's a, f- a form of new spending by saving money all the time. They spend themselves into oblivion, right? <laughs> that that's true, especially when we're talking about discretionary purchases, and that comes down to a fundamental difference between needs and wants, and and so much of this is fundamental, and people could figure it out for themselves if only they took the time to to think critically about their spending. So yeah, buying something on sale that you don't need simply because it's on sale uh, is is not a good move. I guess merchandisers and marketers are very good at kind of exploiting uh, our views of spending, right? And they try to make it look as though you're saving a lot of money by spending. Is, Is that something, how can people kind of counteract that? Well, a lot of times it's with spending with a purpose. So that means if you're going to a store, go with a list uh, and go buy the things that you're you're there to buy and try not to be persuaded so much by the marketing. It's hard because we're bombarded by it. But you also kind of think for yourself rather than having marketers tell you what to think. So many of them say, well, well, buy it because you deserve it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that's very appealing to us, but uh, it, it reaches some kind of, uh, cavemen-like instinct that, that we should consume now, but uh, not good for long-term financial health. You talked about the difference between uh, needs and wants, which is a key in controlling spending. H- how can you tell what's a need and what's a want? Well, I think it, it comes down to, uh, again, planning ahead and, and thinking critically about what are the necessities in your life. So you got your food and, and clothing and shelter and transportation and there are a whole lot of things outside of those that are discretionary. So um, I think you should keep a, a lot of your needs to a very reasonable part of your income and, and uh, have the discretionary be the rest of the part and things that you can cut back on that you're not committed to, like a mortgage or like a car payment. So you're saying that a lot of people put into the uh, need category what actually is a want. So often, or so so many times, they turn a need into a want. You, you might need transportation, but you don't need a Lexus, BMW, or Mercedes to get you where you're going. Uh-huh. So th- those things are nice to have, sure. But um, you know, think about what the need is, and then w- what what can you afford on top of that to upgrade from the functional purchase to something that turns into a want. And then you talk about control and, and how that helps you, uh, with kind of giving you a rationale for why cutting spending works. Tell me about control. Yeah, well, you have just so much more control over spending than you have on income. Think of the number of spending decisions you make every day from which gas station you stop at to whether you stop for a coffee on the way to work to the vending machines at work to um, all the spending that happens in your life. And then think about the earnings decisions that you make on your life, and, and, and there are very few of those. You can resolve to get up and go to work so you don't get fired, but outside of that, there aren't very many decisions to make. So you have far more control over the earning, uh, the spending side of the ledger than you do the earnings. And then you say it's considered time well spent uh, to reduce spending, and, and tell me about the Virginia Tech study related to that. Yeah, there was a study in, in 2002 at Virginia Tech that used students to comparison shop for various purchases. And in one case, it took 16 minutes of comparing prices on the same model of color television to get $100 savings. 
Now, when you convert that to an hourly rate, that's $375 an hour. How many of us make that at work? And then consider that if you compare it to other types of earning that where taxes are taken out and Social Security is taken out, that's like making $625 an hour. That's $1.3 million a year. So when people say it's not worth my time to save money, that I beg to differ. Mm-hmm. So people often underestimate, really, the value of that, you're saying. They do, even when it comes down to coupon clipping. I mean, if you do it smart, then you can save a lot of money for a small investment of time. And even when the dollar amounts might even be below a buck at a time. But overall, you're still not saying that you're, as you put it, you know, kind of being um, live cheap and die loaded. This is not about depriving yourself in, in the spending area. Is that right? It's definitely not about depriving because we all know, right, diets don't work when you're constantly hungry. So the goal is to reallocate your spending to satisfy all of your needs and a lot of your wants. And I think that's the difference between struggling and living rich. Okay, when we get back, we're going to talk about uh, the, the proven plan to spend smart and go through all kinds of different pr- practical things you can help uh, to improve reducing your spending in all kinds of ways. Again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Greg Karp, uh, who is a, a columnist for Tribune, uh, syndicated around the country. His column is called Spending Smart. And his new book is called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More Out of What You Really Want. His website is spendingsmart.net. We'll be back after this. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. 
Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Greg Karp, spelled K-A-R-P. His book is called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More Out of What You Really Want. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Thanks, Jordan. All right, we're going to start with Chapter 1 here, which is whacking the worst offenders. Uh, These are the things where you can save the most by spending smart. So let's go through some of the the worst offenders and how people can save money on them. Yeah, these are areas that I call uh, getting yourself financially fit, F-I-T, and that stands for food, insurance, and telecommunications. And these are really important areas, and I think they're a great place for people to start a spending makeover. The American family of four spends about $13,500 every year on these three areas of food, insurance, and telecommunications. Let's so start with food, then. Yeah. Pardon? Yeah, Let's food. start with food. So with food, the big idea here is there, there are two types of food spending. There's eating in and eating out. With eating in, we're talking about supermarket shopping. And the big idea here is to not go to the supermarket for what you need, but go buy what's on sale, and stockpile it. So that means uh, buying what's on sale and put it in your pantry, put it in your freezer. Of course, you're going to need what I call a price book, and that's just a simple list of prices so you know when something is truly on sale, because just because it's on the end cap or just because they say it's on sale doesn't mean it's necessarily so. So how do you track what's on sale and what isn't on sale so you're not doing this as a full-time occupation? Yeah, well, so keeping a, a simple price book will help. You know, you don't have to write down everything you always buy, but just, just the things you buy regularly. So one, another way is to get those flyers that come in the newspaper during midweek uh-huh. and, and shop the loss leaders. And a loss leader is something the supermarket actually loses money on. And where you're going to find those is on the front and the back cover of the weekly supermarket flyer. That's where their loss leaders are. So you definitely want to stock up on those. And these sales run in 12-week cycles, approximately. So you don't have to stock up a ton. You just need enough for about three months, and uh, you should be set to go. You need the storage place to keep all these things, I guess, but most people you say can do. You do. So, so that, that, that's a, a, of limited value to people with very small apartments in, in cities, for instance. But, um, but for people who do have the storage space, it, it can really pay off. And you might take a calculator, too, to the store and convert everything to a unit price because it's so confusing with all the sizes and, and prices to know what, how to compare these things, especially if the unit prices are not listed on the shelf. Isn't that supposed to be? Are they supposed to have unit prices on the shelves? There are in some states. That's by state law, so it varies state by state. But, yeah, it's so much more convenient when the unit prices are on the shelf. Yeah. Okay, so you, you do that, you shop the specials, and then how about uh, warehouse clubs? I think warehouse clubs are a, a good idea if you're not willing to do the stockpiling and place coupons on, stop of, on top of the sales. So you can actually do better at your regular supermarket if you're willing to just shop the sales and apply a coupon to the sale. But I, I like warehouse cl- clubs, especially for paper products, uh, and they're good for milk and dairy type items. Of course, you got to worry that you're going to buy too much and then have some waste. So if you have a bigger family, it's probably 
more worthwhile. And, and the other danger with warehouse clubs is that there's a lot of temptations there. The, the first thing you see when you come in are, are the electronics that are not at especially good prices. So you've you got to be careful about impulse buys at warehouse clubs. And uh, how about buying things online? I mean, you can even get food, steaks and things sent to you, and vegetables and various things, uh, other kinds of non-perishables. Is that, and you can, there are even some of these places that have uh, places that deliver to, uh, you know, off of supermarkets. Is that a good idea? It can be a, a good idea if you're looking for convenience, but it's not a good idea for your wallet, typically, because it's going to cost a lot more. I haven't seen any that um, save you money and are willing to deliver the, the food to you. So uh, that's a nice convenience to have, and if you're willing to pay for it, that's fine, but uh, realize that you're not going to save money doing that. And then how about generics or store brands? Store brands are so much better than they used to be. We all remember the generics of a generation ago, and they were just so bad. They were tasteless. But today, store brands are made by the exact same manufacturers that make the name brands. So it's worth trying store brands because you have nothing to lose, frankly. Uh, if you don't like it, just don't buy it again. And actually, a lot of supermarkets will take it back if you don't like it. So you have nothing to lose with at least trying the store brands. So you've been finding the quality is just as good on store brands, as, and you're paying a lot. Basically, the, the difference is you're paying for marketing and advertising. Is really the difference for being for name brands, right? That, that's exactly it. And a lot of uh, formulations for over-the-counter medications, for instance, if you're going to buy aspirin, are have to be the exact same as uh, for the name brands. So if you look at the back, the ingredients are the exact same. So you're not getting anything better by buying a name brand. So is, is that happening? Are more and more people buying store brands and generic? Is that rising as a market share compared to uh, name brands? I haven't seen recent numbers, but I, I think it probably will, especially as the economy turns down, as we're seeing it do now. I think a lot of people are going to be tempted to try some of these store brands, and they're going to be pleasantly surprised. And I think they'll continue buying them, and there are some they might even like better than the name brand. And then uh, how, you talk about uh, the coupon clipping conundrum. Uh, is it worth it to uh, do coupons, and, and what's the best way to take care of that? Yeah, that, that's a difficult one, isn't it? Because a lot of people, oh, coupons, they're just not worth my time. It's a 10-cent coupon. And, and they're typically right that a 10-cent coupon just used on a full-priced item, that's not the way to use coupons. The better way to use coupons is to match coupons with store sales and get the coupons only on the weekends that, from the newspaper that are worth more. And then it's worth using coupons if you can do it in a very time-efficient way. And you can do this online as well now today, right? You can. There are coupons online, and they're actually worth more than the newspaper coupons. That's because the manufacturers know that you're using your own printer and ink to print out the coupons, so they have to entice you to do that and they make them worth a little bit more. And you can just print out the ones you want then rather than sifting through uh, a pile of coupons that, that don't apply to your life. So what, just tell us some of the websites that people can find out more about coupons. Well, I really like the, uh, the plan by Coupon Mom, and that's couponmom.com. She has a, uh, a, that's Stephanie Nelson. She has a, a database there where you don't coup cut coupons. You can just set the glossy flyer aside and then go onto her database to find out when that coupon ran. Then go back to your pile and clip it out at that point just before you're going to the store. That way you don't have to continually clip them out. Do, do grocery stores and supermarkets hate you when they hear this kind of advice? 
I haven't heard a lot of feedback. I, I think they're willing to, um, you know, give give these coupons. Of course, it's the manufacturers that are paying the coupons back. But, uh, the, you know, as long as they're getting traffic in their stores, that's what they're most concerned about. Uh, if people are cherry-picking and only buying the, the uh, sales, then that's probably all right with them as long as they're getting the traffic. And then you talk about uh, dining out. What are some ways people can save money on dining out? Yeah, the big idea with dining out is to dine out because you want to, not because you're a poor meal planner. And we can imagine the scenario happening over and over again all across America that uh, busy parents get home and that they haven't planned anything for dinner and it's just easier to load the kids in the car and drive to a restaurant or walk to a restaurant than it is to think of something to make at home. So I think the answer to that, poor meal planning, is freezer meals. And what I mean by freezer meals is when you do cook, make double and triple batches of whatever you're making and then stick the excess aside in the freezer. And then on those busy nights when you get home, you just take it out and you're only microwave minutes away from a, a nice dinner. The, 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 you can do the starch and the vegetables really quickly and, and you don't have to go out that way. Very good. All right, so that gives people an idea of ways to save on food. Let's go to the eye of FIT, which is uh, insurance, and you start with life insurance. What are some ways to save on life insurance? Well, I think the main thing with life insurance is to, if you have term life insurance, which a lot of times that's all you need, is to refinance it. I call it refinance because it's most like refinancing a mortgage. Term life insurance rates have dropped precipitously over the past decade or so. So what you want to do is shop for a new policy, get that one in place, and then cancel your old one. You can actually get more insurance, even though you're older, for maybe half the price if, as you did maybe in the mid-'90s. If you have a, a life insurance contract that's uh, 8 or 10 years old, you definitely need to refinance that. You'll save a lot of money or get a lot of more insurance for the same money. Is that because life expectancy has gone up, the rates have come down, and more competition? Yes, it's it, both of those reasons. It's it's for competition because you can go online and compare life insurance rates now. It's almost become a commodity. And then also because people are living longer. So the, these rates, what you might have paid $1,300 for in the mid-'90s, you'll pay maybe 550 for now. What are some of your favorite websites for comparing insurance quotes? Oh, there's uh, AccuQuote.com and um, hmm, let me think of some of the others. But you have Term for Sale and Insweb and Insure.com, right? Yes, those, those are good ones, too. I like those. So you think that's a good way to uh, shop is do this online? You don't need an agent particularly? Yeah, I think so. And, and the only thing you have to do is make sure that the insurance company that you're going with is, in fact, a strong company. And you can go to um, a few different insurance rating websites to make sure that they are, in fact, strong companies, and those are ambest.com and standardandpours.com. And you feel confident in those ratings? This is not like Bear Stearns where it's there one day and gone the next, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think these are more reliable ratings, yes. Okay. The next one you have is home and auto insurance. Uh, we have about two minutes before the break. Just briefly to tell us how to save on home and auto insurance. Well, the, the main idea here is, is to raise your deductibles. Uh, to a reasonable amount. It, uh, auto deductible is probably 500000 bucks anyway, and your home insurance up to 1500 2500 in that range. You don't want these low deductibles for which you're paying higher premiums because think about it. If you make a claim for $100 on your auto insurance, what are they going to do to you? They're going to jack your premiums through the roof, 
and they might even drop you for coverage altogether. So you don't want to even be tempted to make a small claim. So get those deductibles up. And um, so the idea you know, is you're get, supposed to protect yourself against disaster, not small fender benders and that kind of thing. Exactly. That that's the the main point with all insurance is to protect against the little. Don't protect against the little things. You're, you're trying to keep yourself from financial disaster. And the same is true with home insurance. You're saying it's, you want to protect yourself against big things, not little things. That's right. So so if your house burns down, you need insurance for that. But you know if uh, something breaks and it's only cost you two hundred dollars, that you know that's inconvenient, but it's not uh, not threat- financially life-threatening. Very good. All right, we're going to go to a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest is Greg Karp, who's written a book called Living Rich by Spending Smart. His website is spendingsmart.net. He's also a columnist with a column called Spending Smart. We'll be back after this. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, the Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, the Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, the work wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellent both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Greg Karp, uh, who's a specialist on spending less. His book is called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More of What You Really Want. Uh, he has a column uh, syndicated around the country in Tribune newspapers, and he has a website, spendingsmart.net. Welcome back to the show, Greg. Thanks, Jordan. We were talking about financial fitness, uh, FIT being food, insurance, and T is telecommunications. Uh, tell us some ways that you can save money on your phone bill. Yeah, th- this is a big area where there's uh, so much waste nowadays, and, and 
the idea here is that paying attention pays off because there are, these telecommunications often, offerings are changing so often. I mean, literally, you got to check every quarter for the new types of prices, plans that they have, and offerings from your your landline phone and your wireless phone and your internet service, and even you can lump cable TV in there nowadays because uh, they're pushing these big bundles. Of course, that's the the catchphrase for all the telecom companies now and, and cable companies. And you're saying in general, do not go to bundles. Is that correct? Because that's that's uh, certainly against conventional wisdom. It is, and it, I think if you if you if you need absolute robust services for each one of these. You need unlimited long distance. You need every pay channel known to man. And you need, you know, uh, a billion bucket of minutes on your wireless plan. Then, yeah, maybe it's worth going with a bundle. But I think most people can do better a la carte, or at least they should consider it and, and do the math. Okay. And then you're saying uh, sometimes you don't have to have a landline at all, and a lot of people are just going wireless only. Does that make economic sense? It does, and this is becoming a big trend where people are just ditching their landline altogether. Uh, so it, a lot of people use their wireless phones for pretty much everything, and they have it with them all the time. Well, of course, you've got to make sure that your wireless phone works in your home, and you're gonna, if you have good reception, then that might be a way to go for you, and you've got to make sure that you don't have your alarm system in your house hooked up to the landline phone, that kind of thing. So there are a few drawbacks, but it, I think it's a wonderful idea, especially if you are going to have a pretty robust plan on your wireless phone anyway. And then you're saying that uh, VOIP or voice over Internet protocol is a good idea? Why is that such a good idea? It can be. It's so much less expensive is the main reason. You do need a very reliable Internet, high-speed Internet connection. But if you have that, a lot of people have been satisfied with this voice over Internet protocol, or VoIP, they call it. And it's so much cheaper. There's even one product called Magic Jack. And you plug one end of this thing into your computer, and you plug a phone line into the other end, and that's it. It costs $20 for the device, $20 for your first entire year of service. You get a phone number, you get unlimited long distance, you get vo home voicemail, call waiting, caller ID, all that stuff for 20 bucks a year. So I think that's a tremendous deal if you have a reliable Internet connection. I have no affiliation with Magic Jack, but I, I just think it's a good product, and that's available at magicjack.com. Great. So we've saved a lot. So in general, uh, you're saying you can really save quite a bit on your telecommunications. People don't look at it very carefully and waste a lot of money there. Yeah, and I think uh, with wireless in particular, I think people should, more people should consider prepaid plans rather than the, the traditional monthly plans. And that's because, especially for light users. And this is something I did myself because I use my cell phone a lot, but I don't talk a long time on it. So I was using 150, 200 minutes. And when you look at, I had a bucket of 700 minutes. So the, my per minute rate was through the roof. So I switched to a prepaid cell phone, and I'm going to save $820 in the first year. And so I think people who don't use their phone for a lot of minutes should consider prepaid. The deals on prepaids are getting better all the time. Yeah. I mean, that is an overall point, I guess, is that a lot of these services are being offered. There's price deflation in many areas, and if you use one competitor against another, you can do quite well for yourself. And in insurance, we've talked about it, and telecommunications and food. All these areas, there's a lot of competition consumers can benefit from. There are, and just being 
aware that all of these options exist can can really help. And, and knowing a few strategies on how to shop for them, that helps too. Your next chapter, and again, your book is called Living Rich by Spending Smart, is called uh, Know Thine Animators Us and the Problem Between Our Ears. Just basically tell us some of the kind of habits that people are in that they can turn around to save a lot on spending. Yeah, that's kind of a, a funny chapter. They, but a lot of people have trouble um, knowing that to make good spending decisions because they just don't know how to think about things correctly. Um, I give the example if you're in a, a downtown store and you see a pair of shoes for $75 and somebody tells you, well, you know, I just saw those for $50 a few blocks away. Would you go buy them there? Well, of course. You know, that, that's a saving of 25 bucks. I'll walk over there and get those. But then the same people, if they're buying a dining room set for $2,500, would not walk those same number of blocks for a $25 savings. Now, the underlying question is the same in each area. So I think a, a lot of people need to fire the accountant in their head. And that way they, they can make better spending decisions on a, on a day-to-day basis. So it's relative to the size of the purchase as to whether it's worth it or not to save money is what you're saying. Well, that's what I think a lot of people think, but your bank account doesn't know the difference. So, you know, saving $25 on a pair of shoes or saving $25 on a dining room table doesn't matter. You should walk those same number of blocks to save $25 in either case. Think about it when we buy a new car and they tell us, oh, well, if you want floor mats, that'll be $200. Well, if you're buying a $25,000 car, that doesn't sound like that bad. But if you went into the auto parts store the very next day and saw $200 floor mats, you would just laugh out loud. They would seem vastly overpriced. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, you don't. this is one place where putting it in context really does damage to your spending. Then you talk about evaluating value and, and psychological income. Tell us about that. Yeah, the, there's a functional component to the things we buy, and that's what it can really do for us. But... There's this whole other thing that it, it can do for us called the, the psychological income, and, and that's how it makes us feel. I know that sounds kind of hokey, but that's the reason why people would buy brand-name cars, luxury cars, for instance. You know, uh, a, a, buying a Jeep might make you feel adventurous, or, or buying a Volvo might make you feel safe. Uh, buying a luxury brand might make you feel like you've le- uh, achieved a level of uh, wealth in your life. So the I think I don't dismiss that entirely. What I would advise is that evaluate the psychological income of a purchase, and if it's worth it to you, then then go ahead and buy it. But on functional purchases where you don't really care that much, you know, just buy the functional cheaper brand. And that sounds fundamental at its core, but this is something we can do day in and day out and save a lot of money. So are you saying you should kind of not count psychological income? You should... This is all just a marketer's trick, or is it something you should take account of and say, be conscious of it? Yes, I'm doing this because it makes me feel better. This I don't care about, that kind of thing, or is it kind of an, I really shouldn't care about this at all? Yeah, I think you should definitely take it into account and go ahead, if you have the money, and spend it on something that makes you feel better. You know, uh, go ahead and get a luxury brand once in a while. But when you don't care at all, you don't need the best of everything. So at, on those times, go ahead and buy the functional, less expensive uh, product. And then you talk about harnessing the urge to splurge. How can you prevent yourself from doing impulse spending? Yeah, this is really interesting. There's been some 
academic studies that show that you only have this limited reservoir of ability to say no to yourself. So um, the marketers are coming at us with with all these pitches all the time. It depletes this ability to say no. So I think uh, if you can avoid some of these temptations, that, then it's easier to say no to yourself, and you can relax and rejuvenate your just-say-no muscle, if you will. But the marketers don't want you to be exercising that muscle very much, yes. So if you're in a situation, you're at the counter, and say your kid is there screaming for a candy or something, how do you handle that situation? Well, in, in some respects, that's a, uh, a parental question on how to, how to discipline your kid. But, um, you know, I, I think if, you, if you're, that goes to a point of teaching your kid about money, too, and needs versus wants. Um, you know, if you're buying something just because you don't want to make a big scene, I guess that's one thing. But uh, but I, I think if you could, if there's any way to say no and, and teach your child that uh, that you can't always get what you want when you want it, that's a valuable lesson that a lot of adults could learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are some of the lies we tell ourselves about uh, saving money? Oh, this is one of my my favorite sections. The we hear people say this all the time, right? I could die tomorrow. So I'll live for today. So it's kind of an immature attitude if you really think about it. It's for the buy it now, pay for it whenever generation. Um, it's the primary excuse we use for not saving money and not looking ahead. But, uh, you know, as an adult, that's one thing that you have to do. So uh, I think one way to do that is to plan goals. When you have goals that you can see out there, financial goals, it makes it easier to say no to yourself in the short term. Okay, and how about if you work hard, you deserve it? That's another one we hear all the time, isn't it? I, I work hard, I deserve it. So I think this is akin to the four-year-old on the cereal aisle, like you were just talking about, saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. Uh, only this is adults saying this. Uh, it's true, a lot, a lot of Americans are overworked, and you have to treat yourself occasionally. But, um, but self-gifting is, has become epidem- uh, academic has become epidemic in our society. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, I, I work so hard, I'm so stressed, I'm just, I'm just going to buy it because I, I really deserve it. You know, I think a lot of people also deserve to live out of retirement that doesn't include regular helpings of Alpo. So I think, again, <laughs> having your eye on the prize helps in these situations. And then you say people say that they don't have a head for numbers, that they don't kind of do the money thing, so they don't really have to worry about it. Is that the way it works? Yeah, exactly. A lot of people say, well, you know, I don't really get it. I don't, I don't understand all these financial instruments. I'm not good at math. But you know what? Personal finance a lot of times just comes down to simple adding and subtracting. So, And there are so many calculators are so cheap, for one thing, if you're going to buy a handheld calculator. Or there's so many areas online that you can go, so many websites. Uh, dinkydown, dinkytown.com is one of them that has a lot of different calculators on there to help you make financial decisions. So uh, th- there's no excuse. Not having a head for numbers really is an excuse. It's, it's simple math. Very good. All right, we went to some very interesting psychological reasons why people have trouble stopping spending. All right, after the break, we're going to come back with our final segment with Greg Carp, who's written a book called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More Out of What You Really Want. Uh, he's also a columnist for Tribune uh, around the country, and he has a website, spendingsmart.net, to help you control your spending. We'll be back after this. Bottom line in business. Voice America Business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Winner's Attitude. Switch me on. The bottom line in business. Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. And my guest this hour is Greg Karp, uh, whose uh, book is called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More of What You Really Want. He also has a uh, column on the Tribune companies that's syndicated around the country. And he also has a website, spendingsmart.net. Welcome to the final segment of the show, Greg. Thanks, Jordan. And let's talk about some of your pet peeves and hot buttons. Let's start with uh, bottled water. What's so bad about bottled water? <laughs> this is a big topic nowadays, is uh, bottled water. And, and the main point here is that bottled water is not any better for you than tap water. So why and do people buy it, then, in such huge quantities? You know, you got to wonder. I think it's that again goes back to the marketing. I think people honestly believe that this stuff is coming from mountain streams or glaciers or whatever other picture is on the label of the bottle, and so often it's not. Often, what it is is repackaged tap water. It's tap water run through a filter, put in bottles, and trucked to your grocery store where you can lug it home and and pay a lot more money than you would just getting it out of your tap, or filtering it yourself, for that matter. All right, and then you have extended warranties and other insurance you don't need. What are some of your pet peeves there? Well, the main thing with extended warranties is just say no. There's rarely an instance where an extended warranty is worthwhile. They're pretty much a ripoff. If you look at how... 
the big box electronic stores, for instance, make their profits, it comes almost exclusively from extended warranties. They don't make anything on the products themselves. They make it on the extended warranties, and that's because they're a huge profit margin for the electronic stores, and they're a bad deal for consumers. You're saying because the products are pretty reliable and you don't end up using with the cost of, of fixing it, it is uh, not worth the warranty is what you're saying. Yeah, a few things. Uh, first of all, that, that's definitely one of them, that products are more reliable than ever. And you got a, uh, you can always take the product back to the store, right? So you, you got maybe, what, a 30-day warranty there. And then you got a manufacturer's warranty on top of that. What That might last a year. And then you have your credit card might extend the, double the warranty. So maybe you're covered for two years. <laughs> you buy a three-year warranty, you're betting that the product is going to break between year two and year three. And it's just not a good bet, and you'd be better off self-insuring, which is simply setting aside money for repairs. Okay, and then you talk about timeshare vacations being a bad deal. Why is our timeshare such a bad idea? Well, they're, they're, they just plummet in value the minute you buy them, if you buy them from the resort itself. You could be paying sixteen, seventeen thousand $17,000 for these things, and you try to sell them the next day, and you'd be lucky to get half or maybe even a quarter of what you spend for them. So they... They don't hold value at all. It's not like other types of investment real estate. And a lot of people, there's, they have these ongoing fees that, that people get really sick of in a hurry, especially if they can't use the week every year. So uh, timeshares are not a good idea. If, if you're in love with a place and definitely want to buy a timeshare, then buy one from somebody else. There's going to be plenty of people who want to unload them cheap. And then you think smoking is not a particularly good use of money. No, it's not. And, of course, that, that's a very personal decision, so I, I don't try to harp too much on it. But what I do try to show is how expensive it is. I, I call it a $3 million decision for a pack-a-day smoker. And you can run through the math there and just show over a lifetime how instead of smoking, a person could have accumulate $3 million. So um, it's something you definitely want to pay attention to, and it's a habit that's very expensive. And then uh, you say that you should not buy inkjet cartridges. How, how does that work? Well, I, I think besides gasoline, I think inkjet cartridge refills infuriate people more than any other liquid on earth. Because you, you, before long, you've paid more in inkjet cartridges than you did for the printer. And this could happen, you know, two inkjet cartridges into the process. So uh, there are a lot of different avenues available to people. You don't absolutely need to get the brand name because if you think about it we don't need the absolute best printouts every time you know a lot of times we're printing out directions on MapQuest or we're printing out a shopping list or or you know an email or something you don't need top quality ink for those kinds of things and the truth is if you're printing photos it's actually cheaper to get them professionally printed at uh, even if it's at one of these chain pharmacies than it is to print at home printing at home ends up being more expensive so instead you use recycled cartridges, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you can recycle your cartridges. You can buy store brands. That's a way to go, and those are very good. Or you can go to these refill stores. They're, they go under a bunch of brand names, Cartridge World and Caboodle Cartridge. Um, and then another way you can go is refill machines that are located within chain stores. You bring your cartridge there, and, and you can refill it that way. And of course, you could always refill it yourself at home. That's, a little, that's kind of a messy process. But uh, there are a lot of other options available to you than just paying the sky-high prices for brand-name inkjet cartridges. And then you're not a big fan of playing the lottery, that either, Herm? 
No, I think that's that's really silly. I think if people truly understood math well, they would never play the lottery, except for anything but you know fun and whimsy. Because uh, your shots at winning the lottery are just so remote that they shouldn't. The lottery should play no role in your financial plan whatsoever. And but it's sad when you see a lot of these surveys say that people think the only way they can live out a comfortable retirement is to win the lottery or something. It, it's sad, really. Well, they always show the winners on the on the news, so you know somebody's winning. It just doesn't, didn't happen to be you this particular time, right? Right. If, if it's a 1 in 175 million, they never show you the other 175 million. Just that one. <laughs> That's right. One. And then you're saying as far as textbooks at school, uh, you shouldn't buy them new? I mean, this is almost sacrilegious. This is what you're supposed to do as a student is get new textbooks, no? Yeah. Well, textbooks are, are so expensive nowadays, even more expensive than a generation ago, because they come bundled with these CD-ROMs and other kinds of study materials that, that jack the prices past $100 sometimes for a book. So it really pays to kind of plan ahead, and, and if you can get used books, that's definitely a good way to go, but that, that's always been true. What you can do nowadays, because of the Internet, is uh, seek out those books on a lot of different websites, and you can... You buy international editions from overseas, where, where they sell for a fraction of the price that they sell for here in the United States. And then you have something about hybrid vehicles, or it's not a particularly good financial decision to do that. Even everybody's saying this is a way to save an awful lot of money on on gas. Yeah, I think a lot of people are tempted. I, I think these are the people who are just sick of uh, paying sixty or seventy-five dollars at the pump every time they fill up. But. Dumping a perfectly good car and getting a hybrid isn't a very good financial move. It'll just take you so long to make back uh, what the extra price is for a hybrid that, that it's hard to justify that financially. Now, if you want to do it for environmental reasons or to cut America's dependence on foreign oil, those kind of things, then, then that's a perfectly good use of your money. But just make sure you have a uh, reason other than finances for buying a hybrid. Although the math is getting a little more favorable now that gas prices are going up. Yes. And your, your final pet peeve is greeting cards. You don't think that's a particularly good use of money either, then? Yeah, this, this is another one that's a little bit dicey, because some you wouldn't want to not send your grandmother a, a cardboard greeting card, because she might be offended. But I think a lot of people now today are, are perfectly fine with getting an uh, email greeting card or, or having some other gesture made, because th- these greeting cards, it's not the difference between struggling and being rich, uh, what you're going to save on greeting cards, but it's just another w- way of thinking outside the box and and not paying four fifty a, bu- a pop for these greeting cards. You're, you're paying for the ability to say what you were thinking in the first place, I guess, is what it kind of comes down to. And that, That's right. People are willing to pay a lot for that. All right, with our final minute to go, uh, just kind of give us an overall summary of some of the things people can do and the kind of the psychology out there of spending smart. Well, I think the main thing is is to care about spending. The, the spending side of the ledger does matter, and that it is worth your time to care about spending. You don't have to be a cheapskate. You don't have to deprive yourself. You just have to cut the wasteful spending and redirect money to things you truly care about. And what I think you truly care about, uh, should care about, is, is buying happiness, and that's buying experiences rather than more stuff. So take a vacation and uh, don't buy that extra electronic gadget. Very good. All right, well, it's really been fascinating, Greg. We've only got through about half the book or so, but there's lots of great ideas in here to help people control their spending better. Again, my interview this hour has been with Greg Karp, whose book is called Living Rich by Spending Smart, How to Get More of What You Want. His website is spendingsmart.net, and you can also see his columns in Tribune newspapers. 
Thanks so much. It's really been fascinating, Greg. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.